0: Wait, are you, (laughs) are you going to count me in? Whatever. I'm just going to go for it. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the eighties, I'd love to say Queens rule, but they don't. Queens lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities, and they're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast.
1: Now here's your host, Amy Singleton, the queen of realness, leading conversations about business, life, and the real shit you want to know.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Queen's Lead Podcast. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Stephanie Chan. She's coming to us from Canada. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're so glad that you're here and to be a part of our May Awareness AAPI Awareness Month. We're excited to be highlighting you and your journey and your story. So let's dig right in and tell us, uh, you were telling me right before we hopped on that you immigrated to Canada at age six. You yep. want to start there and tell us what that was like yeah well from what
1: I re- the bit that I remember I was excited to come to Canada um, I was originally from Hong Kong I was born there um, and lived there until my family immigrated we were sponsored by some relatives and I so basically was raised in Vancouver and um, did all my schooling including uh, elementary school high school and actually both of my university degrees in Vancouver.
0: Nice. Okay. So did, did your, I mean, you were pretty young, but do you remember Mm -hmm. your family having any type of struggles? Like when they first came over here to such a new culture, like Canada? I think the initial struggle, and I, I see this in, in even newer immigrants is the,
1: um, settling in process and figuring out the job market. I recall my parents, um, my dad had come from a banking background in Hong Kong and my mom was in more administrative type roles. And when we came over to Vancouver, um, my dad um, ended up in banking. I think his first job was TD bank here. Uh
0: Um,
1: And my mom stayed in the kind of the admin sector for a while and it took them some time. They eventually became realtors. Really? But I think for them and many immigrants, that initial struggle is, you know, what is the right job or career for me in this new country? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's such a different, um, just a different environment to have to, to jump right into. Did you already speak French or English or other languages when you moved?
1: didn't speak a word of English so I went into grade one and I actually do have memories of this um went into grade one not being able to speak I I think kids are really resilient though and I picked it up really quickly um so I learned English and um I remember everyone was very sweet um but it was it was I remember it being a little bit scary at first
0: yeah yeah I bet but people were sweet to you I mean they were nice yeah Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Not the story you hear from everyone. So that's a great, that's great to know.
1: Well, I mean, grade one, I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Everybody's kind of nice, I guess. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So moving on, you said your parents kind of were in banking and admin, but moved into real estate. Is that what piqued your interest to be a business owner for yourself one day? Or how did, how did that come about? Not at all. In fact, um, the funny thing
1: is it's, it's funny how we all some way or another end up following in our parents' footsteps, despite all resistance against it. So when I, when I was growing up, um, watching my parents, you know, the life of a realtor is has some uncertainty because you never know when the next listing is going to be. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I actually started off in a really stable career. So I, my story through schooling and where I thought my career would end up is I did a business degree. And then I went to law school. And I practiced corporate and securities law for 10 years. Oh, very wow. stable career. Um yeah with great potential, too. Um, But early on in my legal career, I decided I just knew that it wasn't going to be what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And it took me a long time to really find my path of what is worthwhile leaving law for, because I didn't want to leave a good career for just anything. I needed it to be, you know, this is what I'm meant to do kind of feeling. Um, Like a purposeful move. Yeah and it took until my mid-30s and I practiced law for 10 years. I ended up being general counsel of a clean tech company and it was a really good experience so I I exited the law firm very early in my career um, and I got into um, managing the legal department of a clean tech company became general counsel and then finally eventually it just I kind of peaked and I knew it was time to leave and Um, If I wasn't ready to take risks now, I never would be. And so um, I ended up um, thinking of a business idea that seemed like it was the right path. And I quit law cold turkey to pursue being a business owner. And, you know, with all the uncertainties that my parents had experienced when they were in um, their younger years and so now I'm living that you know that uncertainty around you know how do we get customers how do we we make people more aware of us Um, where's my income coming from
0: each month and and so forth. Yeah were your parents upset that you left the 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 sure thing to do your own thing? Uh,
1: Well at the time it was not a popular decision. Um, (laughs) um, I bet. um, I think I think in most cases all parents just want their kids to be happy and find their own path right not necessarily what the parent wants for the child
0: yeah yeah that's that's good that's good to know that they encouraged you at least um so for anyone thinking about taking that type of leap from something so stable to something so uncertain what can you say to that person? what what are the what are the necessary ducks we have to get in a row, and what what can we figure out? What can we build on the way down after the jump? I think first
1: of all, is having the courage and confidence to do it. And yeah. a lot of people lack because it's scary. They lack the confidence um, and and they're not sure if they have the right support. They're not sure if they know what to do. And there's a fear there's an enormous fear of failure. I think that yeah. stops people from doing anything that involves a risk. And I would say doing something and failing is better than not doing it at all. And I, you've heard other people say versions of the same thing, um, yeah. but it, it actually really is true because if you don't take that risk and and um, face that fear of failure head on, you're never going to grow. You're likely going to end up doing the same thing every day because there's predictability and certainty but you may not get the growth personally and in your career that fulfills you. And people make different career decisions. Their motivations are different. Um, I don't know that I would have made the jump if, for example, I was a single mom with two or three kids. Um, But everyone has to determine the level of risk that they're willing to take depending on their personal circumstances. So I would say, you know, the first thing to someone thinking about this is look at your own life circumstances, the risk. Don't be scared of the risk. Look at ways to mitigate it. For example, if I could do it all over again, I may have maybe not quit law cold turkey. I may have gone (laughs) maybe part-time. Yeah. Again, mitigate the risk Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: not knowing how long it was going to take for me to get customers in my first business. Yeah. Um, The other thing I would say... um, is build a really good support team around you who can give who can boost your confidence and give you the moral and emotional support and maybe some even business advice. So depending on who you might want to reach out to or you have in your network, build a good support team. um, And prepare, prepare, prepare is the third thing is make sure you're you really know your market well whatever your business idea is go research it go talk to some people validate that it's a real problem that you're finding a solution for and do a business plan
0: yeah absolutely that's that's great surely this couldn't have been the first risk you take you took in life because we have to kind of practice to building up to those bigger risks yeah. But what was the need that you saw? What was the, the very first business that you, that you launched, which yeah. is still in, in business today. And right. we were talking about it before it's basically running itself at this point, and we're working yeah. on another new baby, but what yeah. was the concept in that problem you solved with the first business?
1: The first business was um, helping seniors and families with care planning, care navigation, transitions and downsizing. And I went from helping companies with corporate and securities legal issues where I didn't really, it didn't really seem fulfilling to helping individuals with real needs, which was way more fulfilling and really yeah. felt like my calling. Um, so the, the first big risk was, you know, starting that first business and I made so many mistakes. Couldn't yeah. even, that, that would take up a whole hour of just telling you all the mistakes I made, And but I've learned a lot. and. All of those learnings, I applied to the second business.
0: Yeah. So, what was the what was the draw? Was there was there an elder in your life that wasn't able to navigate that time well, or or what what do you feel like it was calling you to the elderly and serving their needs? So, in hindsight, uh,
1: so I'll answer the question. At the time that I thought of making the leap, what had happened was I was sitting on a charitable board. It was a national charitable board for Make a Wish Foundation. And on the board there was a fellow from Montreal who had a similar business, and I just thought it was fantastic. Like here's someone who's helping people and has a solid business model around it, and being profitable, etc. And so that's where the idea originally came from that maybe I could help people and make a profitable business out of it rather than helping companies. And um, So that was the first draw. Looking back at what makes this line of work fulfilling for me is, I've realized um, through my involvement in other organizations, particularly nonprofits, that the things and the projects and the work that I find most fulfilling are ones where I feel like we're making a meaningful impact on someone's life. And I realize that sounds cheesy, but it's um, true. And So now I use that question in deciding where I want to spend my time. When Mm -hmm. people come to me with board positions, or do I want to volunteer for this charity? um, Do I want to get involved in this project? I often think about what kind of impact it's making on the people receiving the product or service in question.
0: Yes. 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 I love that. So many people ask all the time, like, how do you, how do you know what to say yes to know what to say no to once you have that kind of guiding North star out in front of you going, I have to make an impact in this way, whatever way that is, you can filter all those opportunities through that lens and say yes or no with confidence at that point in your life. So yeah, I completely identify with that.
1: And helping seniors, their level of appreciation is, Um, just it's, it's so rewarding when we know that we've helped someone even for a short window of time, but we've made an impact in improving their quality of life in, you know, and they're 85 or 90 and they, um, you know, they look at us and they, they say, thank you so much. We could have never done this without you.
0: It, it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. So, Tell us some, maybe we could be here for an hour talking about the problems. So what were some of the, what are some of the avoidable mistakes that others can learn from, from your mistakes with that first business?
1: Yeah, um, I would say in my first business, I really lacked preparation and research and I really overestimated a lot of things. Um, what I've learned is people don't come just because you've built something. That's right. (laughs) Um, So one of the challenges in being a small business owner, I would say, is marketing on a shoestring budget and building awareness around your product or service. When you don't have a lot of money to invest because you're still trying to get um, that business to profitability, there's not a lot of money to invest in marketing. And yet your direct competition are bigger players that are spending a lot more money on marketing. I would say that that's actually one of the main challenges.
0: Yeah. Figuring out how to market it and get the word out. Yeah. What did you do to, to combat that, that shoestring budget at the time?
1: Well, you, there are ways if you, um, if you exclude some of the higher cost marketing tactics, there definitely are lower cost marketing tactics that work. Um, And, So, for example, if you can build a good referral network, that's fairly inexpensive, relatively speaking, compared to digital marketing campaigns, for example. Um, And so, uh, for both businesses at the outset, um, we focused on lower-cost marketing tactics. We focused on building strong relationships with people who would, potentially refer multiple customers to us over time and and building relationships where the other person knows they can trust me to treat their clients like gold and you know treat we we have a philosophy if we treat every client like they're our own parent Mm -hmm. and so I mean that's just one example is um of you know lower cost marketing
0: that really works Yeah, definitely. But the way I always put it in marketing is if you're long on time and short on money, you invest the time to build those relationships, to build up that referral network, to give the absolute best experience so that that word of mouth does build. And then when you're a little more long on money and short on time, that's when you can afford those digital marketing campaigns that work, but we can't get to that place without the first place many times, unless we were with a great big loan or something. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Relationships are really important when you're a small business.
0: Definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think so many people sit in this place of fear when they start a business, like I have to build this thing until it's perfect. And then I can tell the world. No, tell the world. You have to tell everyone, you know, that you have this business, even yeah. if you're not ready yet. Right. Did you, did you struggle with trying to tell people like, okay, I'm coming out of, you know, law to do this other thing. Did Did you hide it kind of for a little while or were you bold about it from the get-go? Well, okay, so my
1: first, and this goes back to your earlier question about some of the learnings and mistakes, I was never strong in marketing. So my business um, background, when I did the business degree, I majored in finance. And so had I known actually that I would end up as a business owner, I would have done marketing. Had I known how important marketing and communications is in every business, Um, but I wasn't that bold, um, to be honest, looking back in building my first business, it's not exactly in my nature. Um, but what I did was I took six months off after I quit law to learn as much as I could about the industry.
0: Mm. And
1: then I came up with a business plan and then I adjust. So, um, I don't believe in perfection. I, um, there's this concept um where people say you know it's called fail fast which means you go and do it if it's good enough to get out there you do it you test it with some people you make adjustments and that's how you get iterations upon iterations but you don't wait till something's perfect because
0: that doesn't exist Mm -mm, it doesn't that's one thing they don't tell you is that you're not going to have this business is messy. I mean, we, we see, you know, even like Facebook, it shuts down. Sometimes Google sometimes has a headache. These are multi million dollar companies. They still don't have it all figured out. So why would we yeah. expect as small business owners to have it so perfect from the get-go in the outset? We can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I I, agree. I have struggled with that a lot as well. So tell us about when you started to, like at first, obviously you're wearing all the hats you're doing, at least you've got the finance piece, which is what so many business owners are missing. They have no idea what their numbers are, what margins are, what lifetime value means, none of these numbers. So you have that piece, I think pretty well under control. Uh, But the other pieces that, like you said, the marketing, answering the phones, building the processes and the systems, how did you begin to build that team that is now running that first business? on
1: its own um it took a long time it took a long time to um not just find the people but figure out for myself what type of person would be perfect for the role Mm. um having consideration to the work that's that entails and also keeping in mind that these are customer facing people that would be um servicing our clients who are all elderly um, seniors some of which who live alone very vulnerable they yeah. might be in a very late stage of a disease and so they're weak um, mm-hmm. and very vulnerable and so um, I built the team the current team I have I love and at every point in time I've actually always loved my team I've been really blessed with um, great people that have come my way um, I've grown my team organically so in most cases people have come to me through word of mouth yeah where, they know of my business through some other way, um, and they wonder if I'm hiring because they're looking for work. Um, and usually when someone comes through a warm introduction, they're already ahead of the game because I don't have to search through resumes, do a job posting, do interviews. Yeah. And so I've built my team that way, mostly through word of mouth, and it's worked really well for me.
0: Yeah. 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 What was the first position you hired to start replacing all the things you were doing?
1: Uh, I guess it would be the direct service people. So from, that, from um, my first business, it would be the, the people, because I knew that to grow the business, I couldn't spend time with every single client mm-hmm. and finish the project from start to finish with just me. So the first people I hired were the people who would do the day-to-day work with the client.
0: Um, whatever,
1: whatever service we were offering to the client so that I could um, work on marketing and promotion and finding and onboarding new clients and all kind of the higher level stuff.
0: Yeah, got it. Yeah. So, so if you're out there thinking you're doing everything in your business from CEO to fulfillment and everything in between, think of that thing that you know how to do really well and you can teach someone else to do that will free up your time.
1: Right. That, that's
0: the person you hire first. Like who's going to exactly. give you your time back so that you can go and get more of that work to do. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. And there's lots of people who, you know, say often say
0: you need to work on the business, not in the business. Right. Yeah. Yes, definitely. You've got to be working on the business to grow the business while other exactly. people are working in the yeah. trenches of doing the business. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, After business number one, we now have business number two. And when did that start? You said it's kind of still in its infancy. We launched, yeah, we
1: launched right before the pandemic. So um, it was tough. The first couple of years were really tough. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, And you know, one thing that people don't talk a lot about is some of the emotional aspects of being a solo entrepreneur. Um, And I think the pandemic was hard on everybody. And the first few years of any business are tough. But if your first few years are in a pandemic, then it's extra tough. Um, But we got through it, again, I think with the support of a team. And so my team with my second business, something that I learned about ha- the, the um, importance of having a team is I recruited advisors and a board of directors. So I had not just a team internally in the ops, but also um, a support team of people who really believed in our mission and were willing to help in other ways.
0: Yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about MyCareBase. That's your business, correct? Yes.
1: yes. So MyCareBase is a um, tech-enabled marketplace and care management platform. So what we're trying to do is um, improve a senior's ability to age in place at home so that they don't have to move to long-term care. And there's all sorts of good reasons why you want to live at home and not move to long-term care. But some of the problems currently involve caregiver burnout, access to the resources that they need to live at home, and access to good in-home caregivers to provide Mm -hmm. those services, so they can remain at home. Um, And so we wanted to improve kind of the home care delivery model to improve people's access um, by making it easier for them to find, hire, and manage in-home care.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is not just nursing care, correct? Not just medical care?
1: Correct. It's it's mostly Mm -hmm. home care in the sense of when you think of what um, a senior who lives alone or maybe a couple they might need to help with, they start off usually needing help with things like cleaning, house chores, laundry, home maintenance, uh, meal prep, medication reminders, driving to appointments. So there's a really huge variety. Um, and then you get to kind of the personal care um, category, and that includes helping with dressing, bathing, or showering, and more um, kind of hygiene, grooming, personal care tasks.
0: Mm -hmm. So my care base is a place that I, as a, a child of an elderly person, can go and communicate with my my siblings and my parents and those caregivers all in one place? Is that what I understand that it does? Yes.
1: So after we help you find the caregiver, we have a care management app and we call it um, uh, Care Circle, where it's basically members of the care circle can communicate with each other. There's task delegation lists. The paid caregiver logs on and logs their time. They can write observations about how your parent is doing. So you have kind of a one-stop place that has all the notes about your parents' well-being and you can communicate with the caregivers
0: um in this care circle on the app wow now that is really solving a problem mm-hmm. yeah big time yeah. now tell us how it works is it is it only available in Canada or right there where you live in Canada or is it available
1: anywhere It's available anywhere because it's a web app. So as an app itself and all the benefits that it provides in task delegation, communication, anyone can use it anywhere. In terms of the first piece of helping you find and hire a caregiver, um, while we are um, only, right now we're in Vancouver and Toronto, but Mm -hmm. what we've done in cases where we have um, clients in cities where we don't have a main presence, we can do a special recruit and do all the vetting and apply all of our standards that we use in finding caregivers in our current markets. And I can help any family anywhere find a caregiver. And we have in other cities.
0: So as you identify these caregivers in specific cities, are they then added kind of as a trusted partner to that app for someone to choose from?
1: Yeah, and so what I'm basically doing is placing um, that caregiver with the family who came to me wanting to find someone, Um, and then if I've done a good job, then they're happy with that caregiver, and through our model, what we've done is really reduce the turnover um, to way below industry average. So once I place the caregiver, because we've done some rigorous vetting, because the family is being given the chance to interview that caregiver and ultimately they have the say on whether they want that caregiver. Um, what it's done is increase customer satisfaction by a lot yeah. because they feel like they've had some control over the selection process.
0: Yeah, instead of just someone showing up to clean mom's house, like how do we yeah. know we can trust this person, right? Yeah. 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 That's scary. So you mentioned making sure that you were going to have a profitable, sustainable business. How does the business get paid from all of this? If you're just, if you're making connections with these caregivers, yeah. is it a paid app who pays and um, how do you make money?
1: Yeah. So that's a really great question. So of them, because we're a marketplace, we handle the transactions. And so we also have post hire support So what we've done is we created a a kind of a basket of services that are aimed at not just the caregiver placement, but knowing that often it's the family caregivers that need as much help as possible, because finding a caregiver is only one small piece of the bigger puzzle.
0: Um,
1: And so we look at what are all the stress points that a family caregiver goes through? And so we've put together... Um, a whole suite of post hire support services that um, provides backup care. If your caregiver is sick, we handle scheduling, we handle payroll and payment processing. And so um, through that, there's an ongoing monthly uh, fee.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So, but the free, the app is free to the end user. Yes. Itself. Okay. Nice. I love that. Okay. That's awesome. Well, so tell us then what, um, what is the current, um, what is the current growing pain?
1: The current growing pain, I would say is being still a young business is, I would say growth. And we're still at that stage of, we want more people to be aware of us. We want to tell more people why, um, we feel we're um, better than the competition and other models. Um, and so it's still, we're still marketing on a shoestring budget. And so that's still the main pain, to be honest, is on a shoestring budget, what are the things we can do to amplify our
0: messages um, to the audience that we want to reach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a struggle. The, the personal relationship thing I know definitely comes into play. Are you out in the community networking it with different organizations? Are you, mm-hmm. um, what are you involved with there uh, in Vancouver and in Toronto that, that's helping move you forward? So we have relationships with um, professionals and services
1: that are kind of adjacent to home care in the mm-hmm. sense that these are the professionals that often have touch points with our target market as well and who may have a willingness to refer or think of us when they have a client that they see struggling so we're aiming to strengthen our relationships with the medical community for example the people in the hospitals that um, families go to when their parent is being discharged from hospital and they say you know mom needs support after going home and we work full-time we can't do it what can you recommend? And so mm-hmm. many hospitals have um, community resource lists. Yeah. Um, we aim to develop relationships with people in the physio and rehab world because post-stroke, post-fall, post any injury, most seniors go through a period of rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, wills and estates lawyers, um, you know, so professionals like that. that, that's who we're reaching out to.
0: Mm -hmm. I bet. Are you using some of your law experience in this um, to help them with estate planning or anything like that? Or are you just now at this point making referrals to those people?
1: Um, I'm not doing the actual estate planning, but because of my background and because of all the learnings in the last 16 years, um, I actually know, I I offer quite a bit of advice around what's called incapacity planning, which is, involves, uh, you know, things like powers of attorney And um, we work a lot with adult children who are powers of attorney for an aging parent and -hmm. helping them make decisions. Because often, when a parent loses mental capacity to continue making their own decisions, and it's the family members doing it, they, especially if it's the first time they're going through it, they're often lost. And so, we often act as advisors and helpers to those families in helping them make the right decisions about in-home care. When is the right time to move mom or dad into a group living environment like um, a care home or a retirement residence? Um, We connect them to other health professionals like geriatricians um, who can maybe give some advice on some of the complex care needs um, Mm -hmm. of their mom or dad.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a lot to navigate there and unpack whenever we're dealing with this type of thing for the first time. Yeah. What do you what do you think that most families can do to help um, prepare themselves for that time in their lives? That's a really good question.
1: I think the number one thing I often promote is advanced care planning and having those conversations early and being proactive start talking about these things before there's any need to make any decisions um, so that there's time to research and make informed decisions based on calm discussion. Um, So the worst thing is to bring it up for the first time when there's a panic and there's an immediate need to make a decision in the next 24 hours, because you'll find yourself Mm -hmm. in a crisis. Um, But I would say plan ahead, do some research, and really find out what your parents' wishes are before they're
0: unable to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really hard, especially you know, in in some cultures I know, it, you know, our parents are very stoic; they don't like to share their feelings or their wishes or something like that with a child. uh, Have you found that that is different from culture to culture or even in your own culture? Is this this a struggle for certain populations or just for everyone? Everyone,
1: everyone. It's awkward for everyone. And so even if even I see in the best family relationships, it's awkward. And so um, for those out there that think, how am I ever going to bring this up with my parent? everyone goes through this i'm going through it and you know what you can expect is resistance at the outset and it might take weeks or years to really get your parent to come around to what you think is the best decision for them because in the end they need to feel like they're making the best decision for themselves um and that might take time um and so, yeah, just having those conversations early, is really
0: important. Yeah, it's tough, but we got to start having them. I know like all the women that come on my podcast or a lot of them are about my age and we're all sitting here with our parents are beginning to age and a lot of them have young children and like, here we are stuck in the middle, needing you and your services for sure. Yeah. The sandwich generation, <laughs> it's classic. Yeah. Um. And
1: it, it is tough because you will reach a point where you feel like there's a role reversal and you're almost parenting your parent mm-hmm. because you're yeah. taking care of things that they no longer can do, like make meals, clean house, uh, make decisions, pay bills. That's another mm-hmm. big
0: one. Yeah. Paying bills. So every one of these Items or checkboxes on the list of to do's is something that my care base can help families with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a winner for me. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> tell us how. T- thank you so much for being my guest today and coming on here and sharing your story about business and life and immigration, all of the things that make up um, you and your wonderful queenness. So, mm-hmm. tell us how people can connect with you, especially if they're in Canada and have aging parents. But, like you said, you can serve people anywhere. Where's the best place to find you and get that conversation started? Find me on
1: LinkedIn, it would probably be the easiest. So Stephanie Chan, look up on LinkedIn and there might be a few people, but I think if you, I think I'm the only one in elder care and senior living, Um, or you can go to my website. My second business is um, mycarebase.com and people can find me there. Um, Those are probably the two best
0: ways and I'll have full contact information on the website. Awesome. Mycarebase.com and connect with Stephanie Chan on LinkedIn. She can help you get your act together as it relates to the sandwich generation and figuring out how to navigate life when our elders get elderly and they need some help. Thank you so much for being my guest, Stephanie. And thank you for being a queen that leads. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great
1: discussion. Absolutely. Thank you.